Hi everyone, Boris here. Sorry for the quick interruption, but I have to tell you about some exciting new job openings that are added to the LogTechies job board. Have you heard of the LogTechies job board? LogTechies is the first hand-curated job board for the field of logistics technology. That's where I post the coolest LogTech jobs at those companies that I currently find the most interesting. Brand new to the board is Bex Technologies from Stuttgart, Germany. Bex is building a logistics platform for the construction industry that helps companies coordinate deliveries to construction sites. I've had CEO and co-founder Leonard Paul on the podcast before, and I know they're going places. Right now, they're hiring for a number of exciting roles, including a CFO, COO, and a head of logistics. Alaiko from Munich, Germany is another new addition to the LogTechies job board. Alaiko offers seamless e-commerce fulfillment for fast-rising online shops and e-commerce brands. The company raised $30 million in a Series A round earlier this year and is now on an ambitious growth trajectory. They are looking to fill a number of sales roles, for example, for junior as well as for seasoned professionals. You should definitely take a look at Alaiko's openings. Aside from Bex Technologies and Alaiko, you will also find exciting roles from TradeLink, Noise Technologies, FanRide, Sender and others. Please have a look and follow the board so you can stay updated on when new companies and jobs get added. You find the LogTechies job board at LogTechies.com. L-O-G-T-E-C-H-I-E-S.com. LogTechies.com. All right, and now let's start the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Logistics Tribe. I'm Boris Felgendreer, founder of The Logistics Tribe, and today we will shed a light on the truck driver shortage in the United States. Now, truck drivers are in short supply in many parts of the world, but there are key differences between truck transportation in the US versus in Europe, for example. Our guest today is Steve Fuseli, who is a leading researcher and expert on this topic. He's a political sociologist at the University of Pennsylvania, where he studies freight transportation and autonomous trucks. He's also the author of the book The Big Rig, Trucking and the Decline of the American Dream, in which he explains how long-haul trucking went from being one of the best blue-collar jobs in the US to one of the toughest. I first learned about Steve and his work when he appeared on the Lex Friedman podcast, one of the most successful podcasts in the US and a personal favorite of mine. Today, Steve goes super deep into the problems and issues of the American truck driving industry with our host, Jonah McIntyre. I mean, I can't tell you how much I learned from this conversation. Very much an eye-opener for me, and I hope it will be for you as well. Before we get started, a quick message from our great supporters at Grey Orange. Grey Orange and the German Logistics Association, BVL, will host a webinar together with the Danish homeware retailer, Jysk. And the topic of the webinar will be how flexible automation helped Jysk cope with the unexpected peaks during the pandemic and support their e-commerce growth. It'll feature the global head of logistics development and controlling at Jysk, and the whole thing will be moderated by me. So I'm really looking forward to that. The date is February 24th from 11 a.m. to noon CET. So if you're interested, I will leave a link in the show notes. I hope to see you there. All right, and now on to the show. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. We've been really excited to have you on the podcast. And uh, I, for one, really enjoyed your book in the past. I've enjoyed uh, reading also some of uh, uh, some comments from my team after they read the book and uh, have listened to your earlier podcasts and, and other uh, forums. So let's jump into it. There's this narrative out there that we're all hearing in the industry that says there's a driver shortage. Uh, groups will throw out numbers like 80,000 driver shortage right now in, uh, in the US, and we need to recruit a million or something uh, more drivers by the end of the decade. Similar figures also floated in Europe, so it's not, it's not just a US uh, issue. 
Uh, and often it's tied to also uh, the driver average age being quite high, that these drivers are close to retirement, sort of whatever else uh, we say about the current count, that it's going to get even worse. So I, I guess the question to you is, what, what about that is correct, you know, as an expert in this field, and, and what is misleading about that narrative? So what's correct about that narrative is that we do have a number of very serious issues affecting the future supply and current supplies of, of truck drivers that we need to address and that policy has a big role to play in, in solving that problem. But it also has played a large role in causing it. We're not actually short truck drivers or people who are interested in doing that job. In fact, we have a significant surplus of, of people who have been trained and are currently licensed to do it. So the idea that we don't have enough people willing to stay in the jobs is legitimate, but we don't have a shortage of truck drivers. In the United States, for instance, we've got about 10 million people who currently hold a commercial driver's license, meaning they, they, could, they could start driving a, a vehicle tomorrow. We have about 3.5 million jobs that require that license. If we look at state numbers, for instance, the state of California, we see almost exactly that three to one ratio again of the number of people licensed to do the job compared to the number of jobs that require it. So this is clearly not a matter of, you know, finding more people and training them to do the job. It's about the retention of the people who have to train to do it. And just one important point before we move on. The fact that we have that many people licensed is no small matter. This is a job that, you know, you have to take several months at least to get that license. This is, you know, this isn't going down the street and finding a part-time job to, you know, uh, make ends meet for a few weeks. This is a real serious career choice that people make, you know, leaving another job, maybe they're unemployed, but they say, hey, I'm interested in becoming a truck driver. This looks good to me. I'm going to put in the couple months it takes to get trained. So the fact that we have, you know, millions and millions of people sitting on the sideline is is a fact that we we just can't ignore when we talk about this idea of, of a truck driver shortage. Yeah, I think you've done this elsewhere is to describe this as as not a not a problem getting people into the profession. It's about uh, retention uh, within the profession. And it's interesting because if you think about parallels where other trades or other professions are described as being short. So for example, a doctor shortage or a nurse shortage, those are not quite the same, you know, it's sort of not the right pattern actually uh, to apply here because it's not like we have a lot of doctors who go through their training, become certified and then, and then leave the profession of their own volition. Whereas in this case, it's people who, uh, you know, as you described, have done significant training and in the US it's at significant cost uh, Europe, uh, it's not so much borne by the individual drivers, but in U.S. it is, right? That's right. So there are any number of um, commitments that people make when they when they get into the industry. So if you were to go right now, and I would encourage your, your listeners now or, or after the podcast to go to Google and, and type in, you know, truck driver training, and they're going to get dozens of ads that, you know, for free truck driver training. Most of them come with some sort of commitment to repay that training. And I often liken it to debt peonage. It, it, it really is a form of, of debt peonage where 
Um, you say to me, you know, Steve, you want to get trained as a truck driver? Fine, we'll do it for free. Um, but if you don't work for us for a year, you owe us, you know, $8,000. When you get into the actual agreement, oftentimes, they, the interest rates charged can be as high as the state might allow on that $8,000. Um, and, the, you know, for a lot of workers who are getting into the industry because of financial concerns, because they, you know, are short income or they want to increase their income, that debt is is a significant motivator to keep them in that job. So I meet drivers all the time who would like to move on <laughs> from that initial job, but can't because of that that training debt. And you know that really is what you know the the definition of debt peonage is is that you need to keep working for for someone because you you can't afford uh, to pay off the debts that that you owe them. The other part of it is is really a public subsidy. So we have all kinds of training grants, at least in the United States, um, that you can use to become trained as a truck driver. So it might be the GI Bill, um, it might be a workforce uh, opportunity and innovation uh, training grant, it might be for trade affected workers. For some of those grants, that's the only time you get to use that money. So for for veterans, for instance, you know they may get one shot at that at that training fund um, for you know their transition out out of military service, and so there's a significant cost that can be imposed in trying out this job uh, that you only get one shot at those those training grants. The other big uh, issue is oftentimes drivers who have no real knowledge or experience in the industry are convinced to lease a truck right out yeah. of truck driver school. And that, yeah. that's a big one, you know, and oftentimes that's a, you know, we'll let you out of the training grant sort of offer, you know, we'll, we'll let you out of the training costs for a dollar if you agree to, to lease a truck from us and become a, you know, independent yeah. contractor. So it actually becomes bigger, the, the debt load. It's a kind of a trade of, uh, of one debt load, which you, you could get out of in a year to another debt load, which you may never, ever get out of. Yeah, that one can be really uh, a heavy burden. So, you know, these trucks can cost upwards of, you know, $150,000. And I should be clear, it's not the truck, it's just the tractor, right? You're not right, actually getting right. the trailer. And sometimes they're, you know, they're four-year agreements that, that right. workers are signing to, you know, to do that job. Right. So so let's just, just to do the kind of long-form thinking here, let's try to pick this apart. Do Are these people going out of the profession to get better paying jobs? Because... I want I, I want to sort of with you I want to think through this and try to exclude what might be rational reasons why this is not a retention problem because a lot of us worked at for example in lower paying work McDonald's or something but then we move on to higher paying work and that's not the kind of retention we want to promote right we want to promote people moving up in in skill and compensation are are these people moving on to better jobs these these other qualified drivers so the it's this is really difficult research to do, right? Because sure. we're trying to yeah. find the people who've left the industry, right. which means that we we need to have a representative sample of the the national labor market for the U.S. Um, and, and find those people who are former truck drivers, and then you know where they end up. So the um, the number one place that people end up after leaving the the trucking industry by far is unemployment. So they are they're leaving the, the single most common case would be someone who says, I just can't do this job anymore. It's not worth it. Um, and they and they don't actually have a better prospect out there. The industry is part of this um, 
driver shortage narrative has for decades portrayed itself as in this kind of cage match with other, you know, good blue collar jobs where you have workers who would become carpenters or plumbers or something like that. Um, And and historically, that was more the case. Construction and and other good blue collar jobs were a were a competitor and they still are in, in some, you know, there is a portion, of course, of of the labor force that moves back and forth seasonally between jobs like construction or, or trucking, depending on, you know, where, where the work is and where the pay is better. Uh, but for the most part today, trucking is pulling workers from all kinds of, of industries. Some of them are losing jobs to manufacturing or automation. Some are looking to make more money. Um, you know, they're coming out of, out of service work. And so we see a, a broad mix of folks who are who are coming in and and going out uh, of the industry at any given year. Mm-hmm. So so that I, I should say, and that um, that part of the of the narrative that it's in in you know competition with construction and other blue collar trades is one of the justifications for this under twenty one truck driver training program that we have. And one of the things that one of the arguments that the industry used was that, you know, they, they're losing people who are getting captured by other other industries at 18 years old. They come out of high school. They're looking for a good blue collar job and trucking can't get them. And so, you know, they're, they're losing them to other other places. We really see no evidence that that's the case. Most people don't join the, the most likely time for people to join the trucking industry is in their mid 30s. It's typically a second or third job for folks. 18, 19, 20 year olds are not clamoring to get in a truck and spend, you know, weeks or months at a time driving around the country, not seeing their friends, not, you know, being being social and doing all the things that, you know, uh, folks at that at that age really like to do. So that was one of the main justifications for this under 21 truck driver program that's passed in the U.S. And and uh, unfortunately, there's really no evidence for that. It's, it, it is fascinating that that also would be justification for change of that rules. But the first thing that goes through my mind, be interested to hear your feedback on is first thing that go through my mind is, is it improving the quality of life or the the expected earning potential and quality of life of that age group? Because while the industry might, you know, if you, if you go back to sort of the debt peonage example, the employer, yes, they they want new workers, but it doesn't mean that the workers want that job. And moving to a younger age uh, bracket in in this case, almost by definition, means you're getting to people who are less prepared to to evaluate the uh, the trade offs of the the debt, the costs that they'll be incurring. And I'm not sure if it's something that age group needs. Is that a is that a group that's really hurting for this kind of work? So the the short answer to you know whether or not the under 21 program is a good idea is is no, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> I, I don't think that this is. I don't think that this is. Uh, this is good for uh, for workers of any kind in the in the mm-hmm. who are interested in the industry, whether they're older or younger. It's going to put more downward pressure on the wages of older drivers. It's it's going to uh, foster the continuation of this system of high turnover, cheap um, cheap labor um, training models that that we see throughout the the um, segments of the industry that are really pushing for this. And no, it's it's not a good way for young drivers to enter the industry. They've labeled this an apprenticeship. Now, the Department of Labor, it's important to distinguish, I think, in the, in the current Biden-Harris trucking plan, there are 
a, a number of initiatives that are coming from the administration and there's some that are congressionally mandated. This is a, the under 21 program was part of the infrastructure bill. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a demand that the industry, big, big employers in the industry have, have had for some time. Um, that is, has been called an apprenticeship. The Department of Labor actually has a registered apprenticeship program which looks, which has real apprenticeships. And, and what a real apprenticeship is, and I'm sure this will you know, it'll be very clear to your listeners once you hear it, you know, you start small and you work your way up, right? So right. In, in the, the trucking equivalent is, you know, you start on the dock, you start, you know, with a forklift, um, you know, a small truck and, you, and, and, and local driving, and then you work your way up to the big truck and, and the long hauls. So this under 21 program is going to be, you know, essentially the same training model that you see in, in companies for those over 21, which is you throw people into the truck with a trainer um, they effectively work as a as a driving team, right, where they take turns driving, um, and it's really just a cheap way to move move freight. So they'll you know they'll spend um, you know six or eight weeks or however long it takes them to fulfill the hours requirement, which is roughly you know what it takes to to train a new driver now. But we're starting those people in the in the toughest, most dangerous you know jobs. We're we're you know throwing them into the deep end, as I, I like to say. Um, this is not. That's the opposite of what an apprenticeship does. An apprenticeship is a slow, steady, you know, career path that, you know, is designed to create a good start to that career for the worker, right? Um, and mm-hmm. establish a long-term relationship between the worker and the employer and the, and the worker and the industry. Um, this has none of those, those components. So no, I don't, this is not going to be a good way for, for drivers to enter the young drivers to enter the industry. The you know, typical worker in these, um, in these programs will last somewhere between three to six months before they quit the industry entirely. Well, maybe on that, on that longevity of uh, tenure, you could help interpret this. One of the things that I think we hear is that many of the drivers are older, they're nearing retirement. I, I guess when I, as an outsider, well, I'm an insider in the industry, but as an outsider to this exact problem, uh, I, two things go through my mind is first, I wonder about the baseline of the economy in general is, is graying, right? This is not a, uh, the, this is a demographic transition, not a sector, sectoral tra- transition. And then the, so I'd be interested to hear if it's more. And then the second is, is this sort of, that's an outcome. What's the driving force for the average age, you know, moving up, is it where they can't backfill with younger workers? Uh, is it they fill as many, but they they pop, you know they bounce out of the profession? Uh, kind of is it older workers in other sectors like leave, but in this sector they they get stuck and they 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 stay. So what's going on? It's it's a couple of factors. Yes, the um, the trucking labor force is older than the labor force overall in, in the US. Um, this is often portrayed as, you know, sort of a, a, a you know, consequence of, um, or justification rather for, for uh, you know, attracting new labor into the industry, but it's actually an outcome, right? Um, not a cause of the driver shortage. So the, the it's, and it's the outcome of this high churn model that is just chewing up the younger cohorts. So when you when you go and looks at the different segments of the trucking industry, what you see is that 
there are still a lot of good jobs out there. And, and, and we, I, I guess I should have said that, you know, right off the bat. There are some excellent trucking jobs out there in less than truckload, in parcel, in a lot of private fleets. Um, those drivers, as drivers has, have historically done in the industry, they get into those jobs and they stay in them. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you have, you know, single digit turnover in a lot of those um and they're, they're well compensated. They're they're better compensated roles. I I I mean I know from from my own experience that people like a UPS driver, a FedEx driver, or a, a, a private fleet driver, you know Walmart, for example, these are better paid roles for this for similar skill set in terms of driving, as uh, as for example a for hire, small you know working for a small operator uh, or even a large operator uh, uh, driver. Yeah, so those drivers, the the kind you just mentioned in those good jobs, will easily make twice what a driver in these high turnover segments will make. And, you know, for the most part, they're home every night. Yeah. And right. they're actually following the rules. So they're 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 legitimately working only fifty or sixty hours a week yeah. that, that's logged for hours of service. In the high turnover segments, you know, workers are, you know, they what they should be logging for hours of service you know, easily uh, equals 90 or more hours per week in, in, in many of these uh, operations. And they're living out of the truck for weeks at a time. And they're making half or less of what those more experienced drivers make. So, you know, it, it's not surprising that we should have, uh, you know, such high turnover given those circumstances. And so it's, you know, that's what's causing this, this demo. That's a big factor in this demographic picture that we have because, you know, those older drivers, they've been there in those good jobs for a long time. That's, you know, that's our stable cohort of, you know, yeah. roughly two thirds of, of the, the workforce. And then that other third is churning over very, very quickly. Um, and again, the most likely time for people to enter the industry is around 30 in their mid 30s. Um, you know, it's a second, third career. So it is naturally um, an, an older career uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why is that people, you know, go into something else, they, they lose a job, you know, their kids are out of the house. Um, oftentimes, you know, they've, they've had that blue collar job, but they can't do it any longer because of, you know, physical, minor yeah. physical disability, you know, they just can't, you know, bend and use their hands to, you know, uh, to do that manual work. Be in the and cold and stuff. And, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So it's yeah. naturally an older, older workforce. So I kind of want to segue for the latter half of this. I want to talk about what might be solutions to this. And I think that there's a solution that you and I would both agree on. And that's that it's the solution you have when you have a high churn uh, industry is you, uh, role is you, you compensate it better and you give it better working conditions that it really is potentially that simple, right? So we have, I, I think first we have to identify the root causes here, right? Um, the the working conditions and and the compensation are are clearly uh, the the immediate problem, but we've had this problem for more than four decades. The American Trucking Associations that that um, puts out that eighty thousand driver number currently of, mm-hmm. of the shortage, and you know we should talk a bit about that. That you know there's no that's not a real you know number that comes out of a clear methodology for for determining a shortage, which would be one of the hardest, you know, kinds of studies to design. Like, how do you, how do you know how many people would be hired? Right. Um, you have to figure out, you have to make assumptions about the wage rates, et cetera. So, 
for all intents and purposes, as as a research number, that eighty thousand is just a made up number. Um, it's I mean, it's just you know I don't I don't I don't know. So you know they get together at the ATA and open up a you know a bottle of bourbon or something, and we're like, ah, oh, what do you think we should? What do you think we should make the number this year? Well, we, it's you a know, napkin, yeah, yeah. Think, things things are getting worse, so we got to raise it. But how much do we raise it? Ten percent, twenty percent? You know, I don't know. Maybe they throw a dice. Um, okay. So, so they're the first analysis of of the trucking, uh, the truck driver shortage that the American Trucking Associations put out was in 1987, and they've essentially issued a report like that every non-recessionary year for the last 15 or 20 years, uh, pretty consistently. And it's the same, it's the same report they put out, you know, saying 80,000 yeah. this year, you know, it was 60,000 a few years ago. Um, you know, but it's the same report recycled over and over again with with no real methodology behind it. Um, the, so the problem does go back to 1980 and, and that and the deregulation of the industry. And I, I think it's really important, you know, that we we never lose sight of the fact that this is a policy failure. This is this is a failure of of regulation. So we de- deregulated the industry in terms of the economics. And then we started to, you know, re-regulate it in, in uh, subsequent years because of the consequences of having virtually no appropriate regulation to keep, you know, a, a lid on the number of work hours and, and, um, yeah. and other issues in the, in the industry. So, you know, whatever we do has to recognize the fact that these actors, you know, that the carriers, the employers, you know, they're not doing this because they're, you know, bad people they're doing it because they they are competing in a market in which the cheapest labor and the most flexible labor uh, is what's going to give you the lowest rates and allow you to get those customers and so we we really have two sets of problems we have a, a set of problems that have to do with working conditions wages and working conditions and then we have a training pipeline problem those two sets of problems are are deeply intertwined. So on the work side, we have a large um, number of hours that drivers are working unpaid, are sitting unpaid. Uh, you know, this has to do with independent contracting and whether they're paying for the truck, right? It has to do with the pay per mile uh, um, system that's used to pay drivers. And so the inefficiency of drivers sitting around, uh, you know, at docks waiting to load is the costs of that are borne by the driver. And so they're not priced adequately by the companies, right? I mean, so somebody's time is free, you're not gonna have as much incentive to use it efficiently. And so we have a whole number of policies around compensation and hours of service on that job quality side. But because those companies that have those problems have high turnover, they also have the strongest incentive to recruit and train new truck drivers. And so, the vast majority of our new truck drivers are coming in through that segment that has those problems. And so, and, and we're subsidizing all that. So, you know, they're not paying mm-hmm. the full cost of driver time and they're not paying the full cost of driver uh, training. And so we need, to, we need to get some accurate pricing mechanisms, right? That hold the people who have the power to make the system efficient, accountable for those inefficiencies, you know, uh, in the industry. And that's and we need to we need to have a policy regime that incentivizes efficiency rather than 
inefficiency, which is then put on the drivers, uh, which causes the shortage. That's a fascinating point that essentially the the, the least attractive employers, if I could, if I could re, rephrase that as I heard it, it's the least attractive employers are the ones that have the most uh, natural incentive to to conduct training programs. Uh, sorry, new new driver recruitment and training uh, programs because they can't get existing drivers. The existing drivers would go, Ooh, you know, I've either been there once and I hated it, or I can I'm already in a you know such a position. I'm not going to go to that. And <laughs> and so as you said, like if your only way into the sector is through the kind of the worst boot campy, you know, exploitative onboarding that you, you know, that, that, that exists, you're going to have a lot of people who bounce out before they get through the, the other end of that tunnel and can get better paying jobs. Is that, is that fair? That's exactly right. So, you know, yeah. and that's where this idea that, you know, this is going to be this under 21 um, mm-hmm. driver training is going to be an apprenticeship, right, is, is really something we should we should heavily scrutinize, and I, and I should say, you know, these training companies, the they use these train, you know, quote training programs as the way that they move freight in many cases. Right, so, right, right. I mean, the yeah. the cheapest the cheapest way to move freight is to have, you know, an inexperienced trainer, you know, with a, a year or two of experience who's working at, you know, a low wage, who's you know incentivized to you know use the time of a trainee to drive. So the trainers are are most often paid for the number of miles that the trainee drives. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so you know that's just that talk about a perverse incentive, right? Um, you've yeah. got someone who's responsible for teaching the person how to how to drive safely, which is paramount, right? I mean, there's yeah. there's nothing more important. Um, getting paid based on how many miles they can get that trainee to drive. And right. so that that's a toxic situation right there, especially as we get younger, more vulnerable people into those trucks, those 18, 19, 20 year olds who, you know, sure, an extra 100 or 200 bucks may be a powerful motivator. And, you know, a, a, a trainer who's who's telling them, yeah, you can drive a couple more hours. Um, now, they're, they're, now, that's fundamentally about the fact that we allow them to operate essentially as a team, right? Yeah. which we should yeah. not do. Uh, training trucks should not be working as a team. They, right. That should be a, a, a formal role of a trainer devoting their work time to preparing a new employee to take on a very serious task of, you know, 65 miles an hour with 80,000 pounds uh, around my my family minivan. I, I want that done right. Yeah. You described it as two planks to improve this, one being a, a policy improvement which sets sort of minimum standards, floors on on payment, pay for all hours worked, you know, caps working hours, et cetera, uh, which sounds very, very reasonable. And then, and then there's a second, which, which is uh, ensure that people can get into this in a way that isn't pr- essentially predatory on their interest of getting into the, the sector, allowing that to be sort of a, driven mostly by the, the worst companies. Just out of curiosity, do you think that if the second uh, um, aspect was resolved, do you think that competition between trucking companies for drivers would would resolve the the low pay and too too many hours of service? I think it would it would help, uh, but it wouldn't solve the problem entirely. I do think we need a we need a two two prong approach here. Uh, 
on the on the job quality side, most of it is simply exi- enforcing existing laws would go a long way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, and that would be number one, enforcing minimum wage. So we have widespread violations of of minimum wage law in in mm-hmm. in, in the parts of the industry that high, have high turnover. You know why is that? Um, it's it's because the industry has successfully for the last couple decades argued that they're only responsible for paying minimum wage for the number of hours that workers log in their DOT logbooks. Yeah, that is not the basis for compensability uh, for truck drivers. It's not how many hours you log for safety purposes. The Department of Transportation has a has a different set of definitions for what is work time from the Department of Labor. So yeah. we have widespread um, minimum wage violations. If we wanted to then go a step f- further beyond just simply enforcing existing laws and and actually, um, you know, improve the compensation of drivers, we could extend overtime protection to mm-hmm. to truckers who in in the U.S. are not entitled to uh, the same rights as other workers who, you know, get time and a half after after forty hours. So. That's sort of number one on the compensation side. That's obviously directly tied to the Department of Transportation's hours of service regulations, which again are you know essentially universally violated by truckload carriers. Um, yeah. You know they're they're followed to the letter by good employers, and they're not followed at all <laughs> by bad yeah. employers. Um, and again, that's because the drivers paid by the mile, and they have a strong incentive to uh, underreport those hours. Then just Can, one point on that. Yeah. There, you know, a lot of folks, all your listeners are probably saying, well, don't we have electronic logging devices? Didn't that, doesn't that automatically record the hours? Well, first of all, it doesn't even record all the driving hours because the truck has to reach a certain speed for a certain time. And so they can creep and do all sorts of things to get it to not click on um, and put them on driving. But most of the time that's being underreported is this, you know, on duty, not driving time where they're waiting. Yeah. And that's going to be manually logged by the driver. So those two areas, just enforcing them. Now, that I don't want to say that hours of service should just be, you know, ironclad enforced the way that they currently exist. Right now, they they penalize better drivers, safer drivers, um, put more restrictions on them than than we should have. But that's because of the problems that are caused by these high turnover yeah. models where we have brand new inexperienced drivers. We should really have two sets of rules. One, and this would go a long way toward incentivizing companies to retain experienced drivers and say, look, you're six months on the job, you're a year on the job, you, you don't know what you're doing. Here are the rules for you. We're not going to give mm-hmm. you the freedom that we're going to give somebody who's proven over 100 or 200,000 miles they're a safe driver. You know, I, that's the real test of, of whether someone's going to be a safe driver, not 45 minutes in a CDL test. It's a yeah. couple years. And the insurance companies know this. The experienced employers know this. I, I believe you're an experienced safe driver when I can see two years of clean driving record with no accidents, no violations. You've proven yourself and now you get you know to move on. So we should really have two sets of rules, one for folks with, you know, just say less than two years and mm-hmm. one with more than two years where we should trust them as professionals who know the best way to stay safe. Yeah. It's fascinating. I wonder, uh, one of the things that comes to mind when we talk about this is, I I also realize that insurance, but particularly the best employers, as you said, they apply a filter. They're they're looking for clean driving records and uh, and years of driving, essentially. And given the high stakes pressure of the 
because you can't get there until you've done work with somebody else, right? So given the high stakes pressure of the first employing, it even makes this whole process riskier for the driver where the driver's, the driver's trying to just get that work record up so that they can get on to a better job. But if in their current job, they're pressured to do more hours to, you know, to essentially to um, take risk, right? And they're the ones that are gonna hold the consequences for that uh, in their future earnings if, if then they have a, uh, an actual accident, right? Yeah, these, so these training programs, that's the other you know, chunk of problems, they're chewing up these people who are making a significant sacrifice to try to get into the career. We, yeah. we have hundreds of thousands of people every year who want to become truck drivers, who are, who are willing to spend weeks, months away from their family to get into the job. And they're being put in these, these situations where they're trained poorly. Uh, if you talk to good employers, um, and, and you know, I, I've had some of them recently tell me, you know, we're thinking about training our own because of all the bad habits that we, yeah. that we find in these drivers. You know, they're trained to cut corners. They're trained to focus on how many miles am I going to get in today? And yeah. my company, you know, I want, they'll, they'll say, you know, I want high, high customer service, high quality customer service. I want right. safety. Those things are essential. Um, and so I'd rather train people from scratch. Now, why can't they do that? Well, or at least now, up till now, why haven't they done that? Because you do need some scale, right, to to support yeah. these these training programs, uh, you know. And it's a you know both in the recruitment um, of the drivers, having that web presence and 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 you know basically the HR capacity to process, you know, recruit and process these new hires, and then that training capacity where you know you have the routes laid out, you have the drivers who you know who understand how to be a good trainer. There's that's it. That's a real investment. Um, and you know the ability to to capture all this government subsidy, et cetera, and those high turnover companies have done that. If you look at the organizations mm-hmm. that that do this, you know, the, the, as the corporations that do this as organizations, a huge portion of what the, a major motor carrier in, in truckload does is recruit yeah. and train drivers. Um, yeah. And so you know those better employers up until now have have not invested in that. Um, and, you know, and we have to. We, that's part of the policy. Uh, puzzle is how do we you know ensure that the right employers have the the incentive and the supports to to do it to do it right and one of the so for instance one of the very simple things we could do and, and you know this is going to require a little bit of data uh, but but we should be able to to do it pretty easily say to say to employers hey you want to you know you want to take a government subsidy to train a new truck driver great here you go. But in two years, we're going to come back and we're going to look and see if that, you know, if 50% or whatever it is of those folks that you trained are still working as truck drivers. And if, you know, you, if we look at your, you know, the thousand people you've trained and only 200 of them are still working as truck drivers two years from now, you're not allowed to come back to the public trough and feed again. Right. I I don't, you know, just simple stuff like that. Um, basic common sense that's going to incentivize, you know, long-term relationships and investments in, in, in driving careers. Yeah. I think one of the other things that we hear, and, and again, the, the, the listenership of the podcast, these are logistics professionals. Uh, you know, many of us though are one step removed from, from this. We're consumers, uh, in our procurers of logistics services and we're buying road transportation, 
uh, or helping facilitate buying road transportation, uh, you know, between a manufacturer, retailer, and and logistics providers. Uh, in that regard, if we sort of think about that, that one of the things that this group hears a lot is uh, technology solves. So we hear, for example, that uh, through better optimization of the fleet and the routes and cutting out dead miles or dead kilometers in the route, we'll be able to cope with this uh, shortage of drivers. And I, I'm pretty sure you have a view on that. You might, I, I have a pretty cynical reaction when I hear that is I, it's, it sounds a lot like a sales pitch, not so much like a solution, but uh, yeah, how, how do you take that? Well, the, the technology and, and, you know, as I'm sure your listeners know, you know, the, the, the technology that's already been introduced into the trucking sector over the last few decades is, is incredible, right? Just, right. just the right. satellite linked computers, right? Uh, right. The Qualcomm systems, uh, the safety have, features. Been, yeah. 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 I mean, it's um, it, it's a very different job, even than when I started and did my field work 15 years ago. Uh, when when I started driving, you had to know how to read a map. You had to know right. how to shift the truck. <laughs> right. You had right. to you had to enter your hours of service, you know, manually. You had to manage your time um, very carefully to, you know, avoid rush hour, et cetera. All that stuff can be automated and 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 often is automated now. So we've had tremendous um, increases in the amount of technology and uh, that drivers are interacting with and that has largely been used to de-skill workers, right? To be able to use cheaper workers more uh, efficiently to get more of a return out of it. That's a big problem for the driver driver shortage because there's no floor, right? Um, Right. Under those labor standards. And so if you have you know, an incentive to, you know, leave the driver unpaid, right? Um, to, mm-hmm. to please a customer, right? Um, you know, once once the load's on and, and you're ready to roll, then you can, you know, maximize the use of that truck. Um, but the the I think the ultimate proof that technology is not alone the solution, that it's really an interaction between technology and policy is the rate of utilization that we have right now for trucks. We've had mm-hmm. all of this technology go into yeah. trucks and routing of trucks and optimization, and we're still using them six and a half hours a day <laughs> to yeah. actually move freight, which is worse than we used to have historically. Now, some of that's the bigger macro picture, right? I mean, as your listeners know very well, truck average length of haul has gone down tremendously, right? right? So right. we have a lot more short loads. But for drivers, what that means, if they're paid by the mile, is a lot more unpaid time. The amount of waiting time, the amount of non-driving work as a proportion of what they do is going up, right? Mm -hmm. Um, As that average length of haul goes down. So technology and optimization relative to the driver problems, right, is alone is not gonna is not gonna solve things. And you're not gonna have the incentive to use it. You know, if you've got a a Teamster driver, let's take UPS, right? If Mm -hmm. you're a UPS and you've got a Teamster driver sitting at a dock, you know, for an extra hour or two, those costs matter to you because you're paying for every minute of that time. If you're a truckload yeah. carrier, eh, you know, you'd rather make sure the customer's happy than worry about that first hour or two of the driver's unpaid time. I mean, you mentioned something. I just want to clarify this for people who are listening because I find this fascinating. You've pointed this out and it's, it's something I noticed as well. Why in the world does it matter the rate per mile? Is So what's happening here is that drivers 
for historical reasons, you couldn't, you didn't know what they were doing, right? So you would pay them per mile. Um, back in the uh, you know Wild West days, of they disappear and then two days later they show up at the other end and you don't know what happened, right? Um, but as you've pointed out previously, like not only do we already have the capability to track them in detail, but if we if we were so inclined, we could go even further in the tracking of the worker and the the utilization of their time. Um, and so there really isn't an excuse actually anymore to compensate these drivers on a per mile basis. And it's something I, I sort of bring up in part because the listeners on the call are, are procurement professionals in many cases, and they can have an influence on driving that, you know, that uh, uh, compensation model depending on how they themselves procure. Yeah, this you're absolutely right. So the the um, and, and this is again a great a great example of of how technology has played out up, up until now, which is you know not for the benefit of drivers, right? Uh, if, yeah. if we if we wanted to use these technologies to to make the job better, there there are a number of, of ways that we could do it, and you know the the fact that drivers are still paid by the mile, I think, is the ultimate indication of of um, you know the fact that technology is not alone going to going to make the the difference. So yeah, you're right. You know the idea of, of paying people by the mile is they've got some skin in the game, right? So you you can't observe them. You don't know what they're doing, um, and so you know you want them to to want to drive. Today we know exactly what they're doing. Um, companies, big truckload companies with these inexperienced drivers, they manage them from afar. You know the the driver manager can see on the screen whether the truck's been uh, when the whether the truck is rolling, and they can see what how long it's been since the the driver's ten hour break elapsed, and they can you know message right. him and say, hey, you know I see you're still sitting an hour after your your break expired. What's you know what's going on? Why aren't you rolling? Right. 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 Um, so you you know you do what you do with most workers. You manage them. Right. Um, now the the reason we don't is because. You know, it, it, we get to put the cost of, of that, you know, slack period, that inefficiency, the slowness of the, you know, um, uh, of the market or whatever is causing you to not to not, uh, you know, uh, have freight to move. You can put that on the driver um, directly or uh, you can, you know, not worry about the, the additional cost as much of having that truck sit um, at, a, at a dock or waiting to load. Now, of course. The big companies, when they're when they're looking at you know their contracts, they're calculating dwell times of their trucks. They know they've got geo fencing yeah, for asset there. for asset turn. They know like, that that's yeah. the irony. Is like for <laughs> asset turn, it's baked in, but yeah. for labor, it's it's not really. Uh, yeah, it, essentially, if I sort of recap what we discussed, I think we start with this top line message that uh, is quite scary for supply chain professionals. Modern supply chain was. Uh, modern supply chains as they exist, like in Europe and the US, were based on the premise that logistics is a cost. If you want to do, um, if you want your business to do twice as much of volume, you simply pay for it. Uh, but that with things like the ocean freight uh, crisis of last year, it was no longer a cost. It was it was literally rate limiting for, for the business. And that that's scary. And then when we hear about driver shortage, we wonder, is this the same thing? Is it is it rate limiting? And what we're uncovering here is that, no, actually, there's latent capacity in the form of trained drivers and apparently a flow of interested new trainees. But uh, they're, they're entering some of the worst conditions you know, possible for working. And 
unless they stick it through for a number of years to get to better jobs, then they, they bounce out, right? Yeah. So, and I think this is where it, it, it is important to step back and, and recognize the driver shortage for what it is, which is uh, lobbying rhetoric. So right. it, it doesn't matter. And, it, and what's great for the industry is it's timeless, right? So for, for 40 years, they've been claiming a driver shortage. If you want to increase the weight of trucks on the road and you want to go to Congress, so you say, well, there's a driver shortage. If, if you right, want right. greater public subsidy for training new truck drivers, well, there's a driver shortage. If you want to loosen the regulation on how many hours they can work, well, there's a driver shortage. <laughs> if you want to lower yeah. the age for drivers to you know, enter interstate driving, well, there's a driver shortage. So it is, it is the multi-purpose master narrative. If, if you want to raise rates for your customers, <laughs> well, guess what? Yeah. There's a driver shortage. Um, so the, and the, the driver shortage is, is actually a, a great situation for, for many carriers. I mean, individually, would they love to add more drivers? Yes. Um, but they get to, they've got a narrative they can take to Congress, to their customers, and they're hopefully, if they, if for them, if they get their policy um, wishes, they get cheaper and cheaper labor in these segments, right? Yeah. And so yeah. you've got to lower cost up. labor yeah. and higher rates. Um, so, yeah. you know, a shortage of truck drivers is great for rates. Yeah. It's, I mean, one of the things that's always been suspicious about this upon first reaction for me is, like, look, if you look at, there, there, are, there are things like, a shortage of certain types of engineers in the software sector, those those roles therefore command significant premiums, and the workers get treated very well. They get all the perks, you know, that we we kind of laugh about in public, but uh, but would be nice to have, right? And you don't see that, so it, it, it makes the the sort of the red flag goes up of well, if you really wanted more drivers, obviously a sector may be stretched, but when a sector is stretched for a scarce resource, they begin bidding it up essentially and i think well if you're you know if you really are having trouble finding drivers you would offer them more money uh i i think i just want to go back to uh your your sort of solution concept here has two planks it's got a policy arm which <laughs> largely just sounds like eliminate the the egregious sort of omissions of uh of other worker protections um that that they would already have and then it has a second about uh freeing up or right kind of improving the quality of the training program so that they're not being fed into the worst of the sector and they're also being held accountable for the actual long-term outcomes of the trainees especially for for subsidized uh, uh training i, I want to propose a third one i'm interested to hear your point of view uh, you know social responsibility in buying um, is a very important topic in supply chain so where you source your cotton, where who assembles your goods, those are actually critical choices and um, define the procurement uh, possibilities for many companies. And I, I would I would posit that there's also a third a third arm of this that says, regardless of what the regulatory framework says and regardless of what the training pipeline looks like, uh, we who are in the procurement side of the business of logistics. Uh, we can shape actually how people are treated just for social kind of social reasons just to say uh we won't procure transportation services from somebody who's paid you know half of minimum wage in in say the us or in, in europe the same way that we won't procure child labor uh from our suppliers even if that's not our company even if it's an arm's length arrangement so i'd be curious to hear if you think that that's also a viable plank to the solution. 
Well, I think um, it would be wonderful if we could get it to work. Uh, you know, transportation, as you as you were saying before, is is seen as a cost, and so uh, you know, I think you'd have to. I would assume you'd have to make a case that that there's some value in that, right? That that um, building those kinds of, of values into your purchasing transportation is mm-hmm. going to have is going to have some um, some benefit. Uh, I would love to to think that uh, we could get big purchasers of transportation to care about truck driver con- conditions. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've had 40 years for them to to sort of see it. Uh, but in fairness, right, to them, again, we have these master narratives, right? Uh, I, I, yeah. I just I just saw some, you know, headlines recently, you know, oh my God, there's a truck driver shortage and these guys are paid $100,000 a year, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is, you know, again, that's one of the purposes of it's this. misleading, you know, yeah. Is, it's a great recruitment uh, campaign, right? Uh, because what that un- underemployed or unemployed worker is gonna see is that is that is that headline. Um, and so, you know, the uh, the first thing we've got to do is is you know, help people to understand, you know, what the what's going on in these these labor markets. The fact that it's so high turnover means that you don't have much labor voice, you know, uh, as, right. as the union, unionists would say. Um, but you know, the union segment is very small, and you know, it's it's not involved in a lot of these truckload, uh, you know, markets. There, right. there's no there's no representation of workers. You have the owner operator independent driver association but they're really i mean they have some an overlapping concerns but they're not in this market right these mm-hmm. workers are just you know they have literally no representation at all right yeah so i think i i think for me this was really interesting i'm contrarian on this topic i was uh, i was really excited to talk to another contrarian but one who's much better informed on the details of it and uh, i find it really fascinating i just for a second, I also say that you have uh, work coming out uh, sometime in the future on autonomous trucking. Maybe at another date, we can get you back to talk about autonomous trucking, which is, which is something of, of some interest to us as well. But uh, for today, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and being a guest on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. All right. That was the Logistics Shy podcast episode with Steve Vaselli. I hope you learned as much as I did. If you liked today's show, Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. We will most certainly have Steve on again to talk about autonomous trucks, and we will also talk about driver shortages in Europe soon. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Boris Felgandrea. Until next time.